Super. Thanks, Han. Um, a little quick question to start with. Han, can you put your hands up if you... So the question is sweet or savory. So hands up for sweet, your preferred. Hands up for savory. Oh, more savory people in the room. Okay, well, um, I've got a confession that I am, I've got a mega sweet tooth, seriously sweet tooth. You should ask Han, a number of years ago when Han set up her business, Handmade Cakes, she asked me to be her chief cupcake taster. I was super proud of that. Um, apparently, I've got good taste buds for sweet flavors. So about, for about a year while she was trialing everything, I would have cake cups, cupcakes turn up at my house. It was like the best year of my life. Well... <laughs> apart from marrying Susie. Um, but having a sweet tooth has got me into trouble before. There was one occasion where I was at a lovely old pub with Susie and some friends. We'd had an amazing first course, amazing main meal. And then we got to the puddings. I got super excited. I was pouring over the menu. And I decided I was going to go for the Bakewell slice. The Bakewell slice with a nice little bit of um, ice cream on the side. Now, when I think of a Bakewell slice, I think of Mr. Kipling. Is it behind me? Mr. Kipling, I think of the Bakewell tart. I think of the crumbly pastry, thick icing, and a cherry on top. It turns out that the Bakewell slice is nothing like a Bakewell tart at all. I was mega disappointed. There's no icing on a Bakewell slice. Instead, you get almonds. Who wants almonds? Almonds on a tart, that's horrible. And there's no cherry on top. There's no thick icing. I was left like really disappointed, really gutted, and I came away from that experience feeling like there had to be more from my pudding. Well, this is a very tedious and tenuous link, but that is somewhat how I feel about the Holy Spirit. Somewhat how I feel about the Holy Spirit. Not that he's a Mr. Kipling cupcake, but that I believe in the head that there is the Holy Spirit. I've even experienced something of the Holy Spirit in my life before, but I keep thinking... There must be more. When I read Acts, the beginning part of Acts, and when the Holy Spirit comes, I just think the journey is absolutely remarkable. It's remarkable. And I just keep thinking, there must be more. There must be more than I experienced. Does anyone else feel like that? Anyone else feel like there's got to be more? And the reality is, in my day-to-day -day life, I don't often feel or know the power of the Holy Spirit of God within me. The fact that the very presence of the almighty God, the creator of the world, dwells within me, kind of should fill me with utter awe. But the reality is, a lot of the time it doesn't. I keep thinking, there must be more. There must be more. What's totally mind-blowing is what Jesus said in John 14. John 14, Jesus said, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these, because I'm going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. This verse blows me away. It's ridiculous, the thought that we might do the same things as Jesus and even more, all because he went back to his Father in heaven so that the Holy Spirit could be released for everyone. Just imagine with me for a minute what that might look like if we were to do things like Jesus did and even more. I kind of imagine people being healed regularly, not one-off. I imagine that happening regularly. I imagine people being broken free from addictions that have crippled them for their life. 
I imagine us being able to challenge corrupt authorities and see society transformed. I imagine food or whatever it might be that people need being multiplied so that nobody's without. All because of a relationship with God who dwells and lives within me. I long to see that kind of power at work. I know that God moves amongst us here. I know we've seen answers to prayers within this community, but I still think there must be more. So we're going to think about that today, and we're going to press in and ask for more later on. Uh, But before we do that, I think there's some stuff we need to understand first. Um, I don't know, at primary school, did you ever do one of those fact files, like on Tutankhamen or whoever, and you ask loads of questions? I can imagine you probably didn't do one on the Holy Spirit, but we're going to do one now. We're going to do a fact file on the Holy Spirit. We're going to do the why, what, when, where, that kind of analysis, just to make sure our understanding's really sound. And I hope that the scriptures that we're going to look up are going to stir within you that desire for more. So let's start with the Why? Why do we need the power of the Holy Spirit? What's the purpose? Well, after Jesus was raised from the dead, he spent about 40 days appearing to his followers. And on one occasion, in Acts chapter 1, he said this to his disciples. Do not leave Jerusalem. Wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So up until now, the disciples had been followers. They've been following in Jesus' footsteps, wandering around with him. They've been helping with the things in his ministry, watching him and learning. And now Jesus calls them to be his witnesses. And Jesus knew that they were only going to be able to do this through the Holy Spirit. A few chapters earlier, when Jesus is, before he's arrested and taken for trial, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane praying. And he says to his disciples, pray with me, watch and pray. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He knew that in their own strength, they were too weak. They needed the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, to enable them to be witnesses. And then later on in Acts chapter 2, when the presence of the Spirit comes, the disciples begin to speak in other languages and other tongues as the Spirit enables them. And they proclaim the message of Jesus with utter boldness. At that point, they've moved from being followers to witnesses. See, the Holy Spirit's not just about some warm, fuzzy experience, though sometimes that can happen, it's for a purpose. It's to embolden us to be his witnesses, to share the message of God's love, grace, and forgiveness. D.L. Moody, famous speaker, once said, there's not a better evangelist in the world than the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the best evangelist. He enables us to be his witnesses. We need to wake up to the power of the Spirit within us. There must be more. So who? Who is the power of the Holy Spirit for? It's for anyone, for everyone. Have you ever played Cranium? Yeah, yeah, played Cranium. Do you know there's that round that you pull out a card and it says, this is the Cranium all play round. Everyone gets to join in with this data head, worm word or Zelpuz, whatever the random question is. It's like that with the Holy Spirit. We all get to play. 
Everybody gets to join in. There's a, it's for all of us. There's a round for all of us. This was the very reason that Jesus went back to heaven, so that the Holy Spirit would be released for everyone. But I hear some of you say, but look, there are some people who are a bit more confident in this. Some people seem to move in it. They seem to know what they're doing. Maybe it's just for the leaders. No way. Look at the disciples. Look at the early disciples that Jesus chose. They, at the time, were the worst of the worst. They were the failures. Seven of them were fishermen, which means they failed at school. They didn't have a respectable job. One of them was a tax collector. Everybody hated tax collectors. Okay? These were not popular people. They weren't even leaders in any way at all. And yet Jesus chose them to be the very carriers, the initial carriers of his Holy Spirit. And the Apostle Paul describes the power of the Holy Spirit in him and in the disciples as being like a treasure in jars of clay. We read in 1 Corinthians, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. There's a reason why Paul told that story. At the time, there were no banks. There were nowhere that you could put your money. So what people would do is they would buy really expensive vases, and then they would store all their money, their life savings, in that vase. Ridiculous idea, because, of course, when they got burgled, they lost their vases, and they lost their entire life savings. So instead, people started buying chipped, not very expensive clay jars, broken clay jars, to store their money in. And this is the most perfect image for the Holy Spirit within us. Perfect image. He chooses to put his treasure, the gift of the Spirit, in ordinary broken people like you and me. Later on, Paul describes why this is brilliant. Later on in 2 Corinthians, he said, But God said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me, rest in me like those jars of clay. When we're broken, vulnerable, and weak, that's when the treasure can shine out brightest. That's when the power of the Holy Spirit can move. The power of the Holy Spirit is for ordinary, broken, and vulnerable people just like you and me. So let's wake up. Wake up to the power of the Spirit within us. There must be more. So when? When should we expect the power of the Holy Spirit? At all times. All times. We should be expectant for God to move all the time. In Ephesians 5, Paul writes, Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Make the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Don't be foolish. Understand what the Lord's will is. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, the Greek tense that Paul uses for the phrase be filled is the present tense. And he does that deliberately. He's showing us that it is a continual process. The Holy Spirit is not a power to possess. It's not some badge to earn. It's a continual process. We keep need to be filled. Our broken lives mean that we leak. And because we continually give out, we need to be continually refilled. 
It's like this uh, image. There's an next one just coming up. Just yesterday, I had a big water fight in the garden with the kids. It spent for hours to uh, fill up all those water balloons. Okay, about 40, 50 water balloons. It took ages for five minutes of fun. Before then, we had to fill up the guns again. It's, it's like that with this. We're giving out all the time. We have to be refilled. We get emptied. We need filling up again. No matter how powerful an encounter you might have with God, you'll always need to keep on being filled. You'll face new challenges, difficulties, experiences, and adventures, and you need to keep being filled. We should expect the power of the Holy Spirit and keep being filled. Let's wake up. Wake up to the power of the Spirit within us. There must be more. So where? Where should we expect the power of the Holy Spirit? Everywhere. Everywhere. We should see it in your homes. We should see it in your private prayer life. See it in G2 hubs. See it in workplaces. And definitely see it here in our gatherings as a community. I'd love to see us encounter the power of the Spirit more here on a Sunday. In fact, we're told in 1 Corinthians 14 that if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, prophesying we'll get to is one of the gifts of the Spirit, everyone is prophesying, and they're convicted of their sin, of their need of God. They're brought under judgment as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. And they fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. Pete Gregg, the founder of the 24-7 prayer movement, tells this amazing story of when he was a teenager and he started to experience the power of the Holy Spirit in his life. He didn't really know what it was, and he got a bunch of his mates and they started praying in their garden shed. They would begin to pray on a Friday night. They would experience very tangibly God's power and presence with them. And on one occasion, one of the girls invited another guy along, and he wasn't a Christian. The only reason he came was because he seriously fancied her. So he came along to the shed. Okay, He didn't know what it was all about. He joined, and they began to worship, and they began to pray, and they began to prophesy. And very quickly, this guy got out and ran out, of the, out into the garden. And Pete went and joined him, sat on the fence, and said, Hey, what's up? You okay? And he went, uh, he was like, white as a sheet. And apparently he said, Pete, God is in that shed. And Pete's like, yeah, yeah, he is. Do you want to come find out a little bit more? No, Pete, you don't get it. God, the creator of the world, is in that shed. It's like, yeah, he is, he is. Come on in, come and find out a little bit more. And this was the guy's response. He said, I can't. I need to put some stuff right first. I've got to sort myself out before I come and meet with God again. The Holy Spirit had stirred something with him and helped him to realize he needed to change his life and the way that he was living. We had something like this here in G2 a year ago. I was told by a friend that they came into the library while we were here worshiping, and they didn't know what it was, but they were drawn to G2. And one of our friends then asked to come, and they went on their own faith journey and learned more about God and and are searching after Jesus and knowing Jesus now as a result of God's presence here among us. We should expect the power of the Holy Spirit everywhere in our lives. Let's wake up. Wake up to the power of the Spirit within us. There must be more. Okay, so we've covered a bit of important groundwork there. We've done the why, the who, the when, and the where. Are you all still with me? 
Yeah, you with me? Okay, good. We're going to dive in then to what the gifts actually are that are on the menu for us. And we're going to think about how we can practice them. So there are several gifts described in the New Testament. There's a number of different verses about it, but we're going to particularly look at 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 to 11. Let's read it together. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in every one, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by the means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Okay, that's a lot of gifts, isn't it? There's a lot of gifts. It's a big menu. Can you imagine walking into the Holy Spirit restaurant and having a look at the menu? <laughs> I'll go for miraculous gifts today, God, and for pudding, I'll come back uh, for prophecy, please. It's a, I jest. It's a big list. It's an amazing offer of things that God has for us, all given by the same Spirit and all for the common good, the clear purpose. Now, we're going to think about which ones we'd like to ask for today. And shortly, we're going to have a time of prayer. But what I want to do first is group them in some way. We need to understand what these gifts actually mean and what they're about. So I'm going to try and group them for you. Um, Just as I mentioned this, this is a great book, um, Everyday Supernatural um, by Mike Pilavacci and Andy Croft. And what I'm going to explain to you now comes out of this. It's a really great, if you're kind of new to this kind of thing, it's a great starting point. And there's a couple of these available if you'd like to take one and have a read. You're really, really welcome. So let's put this into some groups. The first group is words and knowledge gifts. Word and knowledge gifts. The first one described is a message of wisdom. So this is a supernatural insight that's given for a particular issue or person when we have no idea what to do. This happened to King Solomon. Okay, In 1 Kings, he has brought two women... Two women come to him, and they have a child between them, and they're both claiming that that child is theirs. Solomon doesn't know what to do. He cries out to God, and he asks for the spirit of wisdom to come to him. And if you read that story, God tells him what to do, and God's freedom and life is brought in that situation to the true mother and to whose child uh, that baby belongs to. God's freedom and life comes through a message of wisdom. Then we have prophecy and words of knowledge. So the gift of prophecy is God's word to us today, God's now word to us today, to a group or a person. It will strengthen and it will encourage you. Sometimes it comes in a message or a picture or maybe even a song. A word of knowledge is similar to prophecy, but it would usually have a more specific revelation about a person's situation or condition. And it's all for building and encouraging one another. Uh, When I was a teenager, I had a word of knowledge given to me about my future ministry. 
this person prayed over me and they felt God was telling me that my future ministry was going to be about working with young people. And they spoke very specifically about the kind of things that I would be doing with young people, the kind of creative things that would be involved in my future. I went off to university. I studied music. I then did a master's in music. I planned to become a lecturer and teach geeky, boring things around intricate details in music. Thankfully, God had other plans. But later on, I then picked up a job working for a youth charity. And I didn't realize it at the time at all, but I started doing the exact things that this guy had given me a word of knowledge about. If you want to look at G2 stories, you can read the, uh, on YouTube, you can read that story. When I remembered that word of knowledge that came to me, I was blown away. And I was so encouraged. I was on the right path of what God had for me. Then we have discerning between spirits. A supernatural revelation that gives us insight into the source or motivation underlying a person's behavior or situation. So you might have had times on the surface where everything seems fine, and then you begin to develop a really uneasy feeling in your spirit about somebody, somebody or something, and it doesn't feel right. Or in your prayer for someone, you have a sense of whether the root of the issue is physical, emotional, or maybe spiritual. Christian was telling me a story of when God enabled him to have an understanding of this gift when he was praying for somebody about something, and he said that he looked up at them and he was praying, and like shadows passed over their face. It was like augmented reality. It was a very, very strange thing. But Christian got a really strong sense that the root of the issue was spiritual. There was something not right at work. And later on it transpired that that person was actually being really divisive, really divisive in the church that they were at, causing real issues. So God gave Christian the gift there to understand something of what was the root issue, distinguishing between spirits. Then there are tongues and the interpretation of tongues. So the gift of tongues is the supernatural ability to speak in another language that is unknown to you. Now, it might be an actual foreign language or even the language of angels. It speaks about that in 1 Corinthians 13. Now, this is an immensely encouraging gift as an individual. If you have the gift of tongues, you will always feel uplifted and encouraged after using it, after praying in this way. It builds up your prayer life. It gives you the words when you don't have any words to say. And actually, it's an opportunity for your spirit to join with the Holy Spirit in deep prayer. Amazing gift. It's a real blessing to have that gift. There are other times when a message may be given to a group or a church in a tongue uh, out loud. Okay? Now, if that happens, and if that ever happened here, it's useless if nobody understands what it is. So the gift of the interpretation of tongues is when God gives somebody the meaning of that, that they can share with the rest of the group to build them up and encourage them. This is a gift I saw my dad had in my church as a child. Sometimes there would be a tongue given out loud in another language. Nobody would have a clue what it meant. And my dad had the gift of interpretations. He'd wait, he'd listen, ask God to give that interpretation, and then he would be able to give what that was in English. So everybody understood, and it was always to build and encourage one another. So word and knowledge gifts. That's the first set. Let's go to the next. Power gifts. Power gifts. So this is where God's power is visibly displayed, bears witness to God. So first is the gift of faith. 
This gift looks like a particular moment where you suddenly have a supernatural expectancy or trust that causes you to step out in a way that you wouldn't usually. Okay? And you'll usually have the authority to carry out God's plans. So it may be that you've got the confidence to pray for someone to be healed. Or maybe approach a particular person in the street because you feel God's given you a message for them. Uh, earlier this year, we sent Rosie and Stu from here out to go and do ministry in Brazil. I believe they got given the gift of faith. They just knew that God was calling them to do that, to put their whole life on hold, their careers to stop that, and to carry out what God was saying to them. That's the gift of faith at work. Or there are gifts of healing. When God uses us to supernaturally heal a disease or an illness. This happened last week at G2. This happened last week at G2. If you weren't here, Kit arrived at G2 in utter agony, huge back pain and problems, and she was barely able to stand up. During the worship, she just sat at the table. And then Han went and prayed for Kit during worship, and radically she was healed. The pain went away, and during the rest of the time of worship, you could see Kit dancing around the hall and lunging and everything. She was so amazed at what God had done. This happened here just last week. God moving and healing people. Then lastly, we have miraculous powers. A miracle is much more of an unusual gift, an unusual act when it causes us to wonder, it inspires awe, and it will bear witness to God. It's where God's power breaks in, to the, it intervenes into the natural order of things. I once heard one story about this. Again, I'm reading this book recently by Pete Gregg. And he tells this story about somebody who lived in Switzerland and God was calling them to come and work for the 24-7 prayer movement. But they didn't have the money at all, okay? There was no money available or anything like that. So they just said, God, if you can give me at least half of what I need, I'll go and do this. There was one particular occasion when they opened the cupboard under the stairs and there was half a year's salary scattered all over the floor in Swiss dollars, absolutely phenomenal. And she was rooting around trying to find, was there some door that she hadn't seen? Had somebody been in and put it there? Had the previous owners accidentally left it on the top of the boiler and it had fallen down? She phoned the police. She told the police about it. They knew nothing about it. And then over a period of four or five weeks, it kept happening when other people were there as well. They'd hear a little rustle in the cupboard and they'd open the door and suddenly there'd be another wadge of money. And the people that they're with it are going, oh my goodness, that's phenomenal. It bared witness to God and a whole bunch of amazing things happened of people coming to faith. And then she's just started giving that money away and giving that money away. It lasted for about six weeks. What an incredible gift. Um, in the book of Romans, we are reminded that the spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead, that itself was a miracle. So the spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. If the Spirit of God is within us, then miracles are possible. Definitely. Okay. An amazing number of gifts. Amazing number of gifts given to empower us to be God's witnesses on earth. Stay with me. We're on the home straight now. Okay. Are we all all right? We're all okay. We're going to think now about how. How do we practice these gifts? How do we grow in one of these gifts? It's four very simple things that I just want to say to you before we get in, into this, into having a go. The first thing is that we have to accept the gift. 
the Holy Spirit is described as a free gift. On the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came, Peter got up and said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was given because of the saving grace of Jesus. Because of his death on the cross and him coming alive again, we were given not only forgiveness, but also the gift of the Holy Spirit. So there's nothing you can do to earn it. There's nothing that you can do to earn the Holy Spirit. It's firstly and foremostly about repenting and accepting the gift that's freely given to you. Second thing is to ask. Ask for one of the gifts of the Spirit. Jesus said in Matthew 7, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. So it's not about being passive. You need to name the gift that you might like and begin to ask for it. But which one do I ask for? It's quite a long list. Which one do I ask for? Well, I wonder. I wonder which one on that list you are drawn to. I wonder which one might be stirring within you, as I've just described what each one is. Psalm 37, 4 says, Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Philippians 2, 13 says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. I think that God might already be stirring in some of you one of those gifts as we've talking it through. I think maybe God is already stirring within some of you a desire for one of those gifts. Or maybe you've had friends say to you, do you know what, I, I see a particular gift in you. I think you might have the gift of prophecy. That can be helpful if friends notice something and you can pray for it. But if you're still not sure what to ask for, we can all ask for the gift of prophecy. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. He goes on to talk about tongues, how that's a brilliant gift, but it's a gift for you in your own personal relationship with God. And he says, I'd love you to have that, but I would desperately love you to have the gift of prophecy so that everybody can be encouraged by it. Everybody can be built up with God's now word for us today. The third thing, is to pursue the gift. Paul says, eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit. We're not meant to just ask once. It's not about asking once. You have to pursue the gift. You have to keep asking. You have to keep praying. You have to get others to pray with you for the gift. As a teenager, I had a real deep desire for the gift of speaking in tongues. That's what I felt God laid on my heart. And I started asking for it. I asked people to pray for me for it. And over a series of months, nothing happened. I got frustrated. But I kept asking. I kept asking. And I went to one youth camp in the summer. First meeting, I was there going, leaders, please can you pray for me for the gift of tongues? And I remember one of the leaders saying, Dan, do you have kind of a, a couple of words maybe that are in your head? And I was like, well, I kind of do. I said, well, why don't you just join? Have a go. Have a go. We're going to speak in tongues as we pray, and you have a go. So I kind of did. It felt like gobbledygook, and I felt a bit silly. These couple of words, I tried them out, and then nothing really kind of happened. But I kept asking. 
Later on in the week, I spent some time with a leader who I'd been amazingly inspired by and got to know. He turned up literally after his wife had died the week before. He still came to the camp to serve. He brought his children along as well, quite remarkable. I spent some time with him talking about this. And I said, look, will you pray for me? And he prayed. He said, just try those words. Do you have a couple of words? I joined with him. I tried a couple of words. And incredibly, suddenly, this language came out of me that I didn't know. God gave me the gift of tongues. It flowed out of me. It has been a huge encouragement to me throughout my whole Christian faith. But I know it was an immense encouragement to him after all he'd gone through to see God move in that way in a young person. God's timing is always perfect and we have to keep asking. The last thing is to practice the gift. This one feels a bit of a weird one. But I think that we need to chill out a little bit about the gifts. We need to normalize them. We have to be prepared to have a go. I had to be prepared with these couple of words I thought were there to have a go. And in my spirit and the Holy Spirit worked and things started to happen. Hannah said a few weeks ago that no one can master a Rubik's Cube first time. You have to keep practicing. You have to have a go. You have to keep trying. And it's the same with the gifts of the Spirit. In G2, I think we're really good. We've had an amazing ignition today. We have ignition Sundays. We have new speakers. People can practice the gift of speaking. Similar with anchors or worship leaders. Someone says, I want to grow in that gift. They get a chance to practice and then lead themselves. Same with youth workers and children's workers. Fiona will train them and mentor them. They get an opportunity to lead and have a go. What about this with the gifts of the Spirit? Wouldn't it be amazing if someone could name, do you know what? I feel that God's put on me the desire to pray for healing. I'd love to grow in that gift. And if someone could just share that and then people could bring to them those that want to be prayed for healing. I would love to see that. They would then grow and be able to practice that gift. Stepping out in one of the gifts will help you to grow in it to be prepared to step out, have a go, and let God work. So those four things again. We accept the free gift, and you need to ask for it. And you have to pursue it. It's not a one-time ask. Pursue it. And lastly, practice.